Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Marcela Arguello is a stand-up comedian, writer, and actor, originally from Modesto, California, who has made a name for herself in the Los Angeles comedy scene by standing tall and true to herself. Her regular show, Women Crush, started as a weekly showcase at Nerd Melt, and is now monthly at the Hollywood Improv. Arguello has performed stand-up on HBO's Two Dope Queens, Night Train with Wyatt Cenac. She was a regular on Comedy Central's At Midnight, performed on The Funny Dance Show, and has multiple other TV credits as either a writer and or a performer. She released her debut album, The Woke Bully, in 2019, and in February 2023, put out her first special on HBO Max, Marcella Arguello, Bitch, Grow Up! Arguello met up with me to reflect on how far she has come, how long it took her to get to this moment, and what comes next. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and uh, that's out of the way. Let's get to it. So, Marcela Arguello, last things first, congratulations. Thank you. Your, your HBO, Latino HBO Max, I loved it. Thank you. One of the things I loved most about it is... As somebody who watches and reviews stand-up comedy, so often it's difficult to really capture the essence of live stand-up in a special. Sure, sure, sure. But one of the things your special does is it not only captures the essence, but it also makes viewers want to come see you. That was the intention. (laughs) That was the intention, yeah. Thank you for noticing. Thank you for saying, because that was very much the intention. Uh, One of the things, I know you're... uh, you're a pretty rabid promoter. Yes, I am. especially especially yes, I am. as the special was coming out. One of the things I noticed you posted was that it took you 17 years mm-hmm. to get to this point. Yeah. So we're talking now. The special has been out for a week. Not even. So how do you feel now? I mean, that 17 year wait, and now you you made it, and now it's been out for a week. What does that feel like? You know, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster because, and I, uh, I've been telling like Ida and a couple of my friends and my boo thing that like I, I, ha- I have to now let go of some of my bitter feelings. Like I have to, <laughs> I have to. Like I can't say that you know the industry didn't give me an opportunity. Like it, it's happening, and it's and it's been interesting in this last week. Like processing all those old feelings I used to have and um and I'm trying to like let some of that shit go because I'm like I can't say what I used to say I can't say that the industry doesn't fuck with me you know because now it does and that that's been kind of wild to like have to like let go that's the, some of those bitter and angry feelings right the feeling of being snubbed or overlooked or yeah and it's interesting too I was talking with Deborah Di Giovanni yesterday at, at Women Crush um because she was like I like that it took 17 years because so many comics are, ex- which is a, part of the why I said it and I haven't mentioned my how long I've been doing it for a minute because mm-hmm. um, I think that we've now too often have gotten used to like younger comics getting shit maybe before they're ready mm. and um, and we don't get the quality that we used to get um, and and Deborah was like it's perfect perfect timing I was like no I agree that it's perfect timing in the sense of if you're a stand up. Like through and through, then you know that seventeen years is just about time you start getting, you know, a little more um, attention for your stand up. Right. 
I I always go back to not that I'm the biggest Jerry Seinfeld fan, but I go back to his documentary Comedian that came out in 2002 where there's there's he's talking in the back of of a cab with I think it's with Chris Rock and or it might have been Warney Adams. But he was talking about how a comedian your age is relative to your career. Yeah. So 17 years, you're still a teenager. Exactly. Yeah. I know. I used to tell my mom when I first started, I'm like, I'm basically in school right now. Like I'm basically in elementary school. Mm -hmm. And then by the time I'm 40, I'm going to be in college. (laughs) And, um, and it kind of helped her understand that it's like a long journey, especially Mm -hmm. if it is exactly what you want to do. Just do stand up because that's, what's what I've always wanted to do. And I was what I wanted to be known for. I want to be known for being myself as a stand up. And like that shit takes time, and it's like uh, it's it's it. And you're right, seventeen years is like you know we're just getting started. So, so whose idea was that montage at the beginning? Mine. Was that, that was yours. That was mine. Yeah, she Ida hit me up. Ida Rodriguez, great director, she hit me up like, "What do you want for your intro?" I was like, "Fuck, I haven't thought about it because that's not something I I give a shit about." I'm like, right. "The thirty minutes is what I care about," and um. We were on the phone and she was like, well, you need to come up with an intro. And I was like, what if I just find a bunch of old clips and we just like splice them together and, you know, to show like it's been a long time. Um, so because I didn't want any, anyone to see this and be like, this is a new brand new comic on the scene. It's an overnight success. It's not true. I want everyone to know like it's been a minute. Like I've gone through multiple looks. <laughs> My hair like t- grows and gets short and gets long right. in that in that montage because I we put it in the order that it 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 was yeah no it did feel chronological yeah <laughs> it was great i love that i have like a, a lot of my closest friends were like crying when they saw the montage because they're just like i can't, i just i remember i remember like yeah you you grew into it yes yeah <laughs> and now look at you yeah comedy giant yeah one of the things you mentioned in the special is uh working as a bank teller mm-hmm was that your last quote unquote day no, job? No, my last day job was a busboy here in LA. Yeah, I um I, I worked at the restaurant at LACMA and it was like fine dining experience. Sure, um and it was what yeah, because you're at the museum. It, yeah, and it was um I wanted to be a busboy because I got sick of being like a customer service rep as my day job because and I I have a new album coming out, Mercury and Reggaeton. I'm not sure when it's dropping, but I talk about that part of that journey of like when when my brain switched mm-hmm. of like I was literally getting paid at night to say whatever the fuck I wanted, just talk however I want to complete strangers, and in the morning I had to fucking put on a mask and a fake ass you know persona, and it was actually starting to drive me crazy because I don't do I don't I can't be fake, right. and I was realizing like I was now being fake as opposed to being just a good employee. I turned it turned into I I was acting fake at work, and that was really hard. That's for me. a fascinating take because I'm sure a lot of comedians or performers well obviously a lot of performers actors actresses work as in as wait staff but you realized yeah i don't want to be a waitress and have to deal with the customers as a busser it might be seen as a lesser job but actually it's better because you don't have to interact with the customers not at all, at all yeah it was really better for my mental health if i wanted to be my best self like if i wanted all my energy to be safe for stand-up i needed to like not talk to these entitled fucks anymore i couldn't do it I yeah you do can't it. do that as a bank teller you can't you cannot it's really wild it's really wild what was the moment when you realized you didn't need that busing job or any additional outside of comedy job? i don't know if i really you know the only reason i got the bus boy job is because my dad was dying and i had to, i had to leave my mom asked me to come back home i was ready to come back home and help her 
And so um, I I never really had a, the moment like that. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that I didn't feel that way until I got like my first writing job in 2017. So there was quite a few years where I was just like struggling and, and just living, you know, flying by the seat of my pants, I should say. And um, so I, I it only recently, like it almost feels crazy to me even today to be like, I'm, I don't have a day job. That's wild that I could just like right. take time off, work when I want to. It's cool. Uh, your parents are from El Salvador? From El Salvador, yeah. And your mom still lives up in... In Modesto, yeah. Modesto. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did you do any comedy up there? or Not, not really. You... There was no. There was nothing in Modesto when I started doing comedy. And um, there's barely a comedy scene in San Francisco when I was there. You know, like, there wasn't comedy every night. Um, well, I don't think there's comedy every night over there anymore also. But, you know, times are changing. Um, but I would, like, eventually Modesto started getting a little comedy scene. There's this um, comedian, Anthony Crane Hagen, Anthony K. He is, like, trying to build a scene in Modesto. But it's hard. It's hard to do that shit, you know. Yeah. And um, I think they're trying to open a comedy club in Merced, which is near Modesto, because um, like people people don't love comedy in Modesto. That's that's real. That's a thing. <laughs> so people always are like, when are you gonna come perform in Modesto? I'm like, first of all, you guys don't come, and you don't laugh if you do. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Mm. Yeah, it's that's wild because people think of California as like this deep blue state yeah and it's not where it's filled with like hollywood types no, or not. or those san francisco hippie no way liberals but then it's california is so big that it oh yeah you can see the confederate different... flag all up and down california <sighs> they they love that shit so when you went back for your dad how long did you go back up for it was quite a few years i mean uh what four years maybe yeah it was like back and forth for four years because okay. it was i mean i was really fucked up about it and i ended up having to go to therapy for ptsd um uh because it was just it was it was a lot but um in that time i was still going back and forth to socal norcal and like that's how a lot of comics know that i was always just i was always on the road i was living out of my car it was like i would say two weeks in la with some friends and i would go back for two weeks and i would go back and i did that all the time and that's the thing the money's on the road in california Money's not in SF or LA. It's fucking on the road. All these fucking weird small town gigs. So you're saying your your women crush Wednesday show at the Improv? That's not your big money maker. It's not my big money maker. No, <laughs> no. You know, it's one of the it's one of the few decent paying shows too <laughs> for the comics. That's what. It's so sad when like a comic gets twenty bucks. You're like, oh my god, thank you. <laughs> and it's like that's so sad that we. That's how bad LA comedy is. That twenty bucks is like great. Well, there's something tangible about cash versus, yeah, say, sure. a drink ticket. Absolutely. But, you know, in New York, you can actually make money off, you know, doing mm -hmm. spots. So that so so those four years, I mean, you mentioned you ended up having to go to therapy. But how did, how did that end up changing your comedy? Or did it? I don't know if it ended up changing my comedy, but it, it did help me realize I wanted to, like, be fully a stand-up. Mm -hmm. Because once I was, like... Um, because uh, when I left LA to be a Modesto, I was like, fuck, am I really still going to do comedy? Am I like, what am I doing? Like, you know, um, cause I was so pretty, I don't want to say pretty young, but yeah, it was like, what, 10, 10 some years ago. Yeah. It's 10 years ago. My dad died 10 years ago. So I was 30. I mean, I'm sorry. I was 28. <laughs> I was 28. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a trip to think about because I, I, I was still uncertain about like how I feel now and how I've known for a while that I'm like, no, stand up is the thing I want to do forever. Um, but back then I was still uncertain. I ended up 
um, asking Lori Kilmartin to be my mentor uh, because I was like, I need some something to help me like through this bullshit. And, you know, she's a woman who is a, a great comedian, well-respected stand-up, a great writer for television. And, you know, chatting with her is what helped me realize like, yes, this is what I want to do forever. So you had two therapists. You well, had a the, therapist, therapist, and you had a comedy therapist. Yeah, but my therapist came much later. My therapist came in 2017 because um, I was—I didn't mm. realize I was so fucked up. <laughs> so you had Lori for those first four years. I had I had Lori in there for a little while. I think mm-hmm. we were only like going back and forth for like two years, but it was it was in that time that time frame of like being on the road all the time. And she had said like if you're if you're comfortable struggling, if you can live. However long you can live struggling, she's like, keep doing it. Because like, she's like, if you love stand-up the way I think you love stand-up, keep doing stand-up. Don't fucking get a job. Avoid a writing job for as long as humanly possible. She's like, because once you get a taste of that money, that's it. And you said you first got a taste of that money in 2017. Yeah. What was that first writing, big writing um, job? It was Drop the Mic. Drop the okay. Mic uh, on TBS. And um, I hated it. I hated, I hated it. I hated it. And then I almost immediately got another job uh Bill Nye saves the world on Netflix and hated that too. I, I, I kind of was like, maybe it was just that job. That's just why I took the Bill Nye job. Cause I was like, maybe it was just those people. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was that experience. Cause there were like individuals who were making it not great. And then I went to Bill Nye and I was like, Oh, it's the same thing. There's always somebody at these places that is going like, if they've been in the business for a long time, they just like to fucking be crazy. You know, they live in their own world. So there probably wasn't ever a time where you thought, Oh, I'm, going to get attached to this money and i'll just be a, a tv writer. it's what i was scared of i was definitely scared going into it like what if i get super into this money i really like this but i started being like well if that's what it is and that that's the where my path goes you know i tried to accept i do try to accept my fate when i have to um but uh i definitely was like oh yeah i fucking hate this it's just like a it's like, it's like working at the bank just like it's the same it's the exact fucking same except the, the customer is the same customer yeah Every day. Yeah. So it was a lot. I didn't love it. I also just like, I don't understand the concept of like fighting for jokes or explaining jokes to talk them into being in a script. It's like, man, if you guys don't fucking like this, I don't give a fuck. Like I just kind of gave up at a certain point What the kids call quiet quitting. I started doing that shit. <laughs> Bill Nye might be saving the world, but you're not saving the writer's room. No, not at all. <laughs> no. I mean, Bill was great. Bill was great. It was mm-hmm. cool to work with him. It's just like with, with Drop the Mic. It was cool to work with Method Man. That shit was fucking cool as fuck, but that's not enough to keep me. Right. It's still an office job. Still an office job. Uh, at what point did you start doing Women Crush? I think that was one of the first times I saw you was your show at the back of um, Meltdown. Meltdown. Yeah. Meltdown. I mean, Women Crush actually started as an open mic at the comedy store inside the belly room. I was like trying to get them to bring the belly room back, you know, like in the sense of like it's originated with women. So like, right. why don't we have more women in this room anyways? And um, they didn't treat me very well. And they, I mean, I don't really fuck with the comedy store. They don't really fuck with me. And I was like, I'm going to get, it. I'm going to take my idea out of here. You mm-hmm. guys don't get it. You don't give a shit. And I, I fucking, it's no wonder there's not a lot of women at this club. And, um, and that was, I don't know when that was, that was, that was probably back in, in, in that era, maybe 2015. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know when that first, first started. I should say, I don't remember. And then, um, you know, we were looking for a venue or a space or something, somebody that would get it. And it was cool because meltdown was, um, it ended, it had already ended. The show was done right. and he was looking for a replacement for okay. the slot on Wednesdays. 
and he was um i found out who was looking for pitches and i just hit him up and he was i it was really funny what sold him when i was talking to him about the show he was like um so you're telling me if some comedian that's you know like a big name i don't remember who he said maybe bill burr yeah bill burr comes in mm-hmm. and he needs a spot and he and and he comes up to you and he asks you for a spot. You're gonna what are you gonna say? I'm gonna say fuck no. You can't have a fucking spot on my women's only show. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here. And he was like, all right, let's do this. I'm down. And that's what got him to fucking want to do the show because you know he I guess he just wanted that that energy. And um, and it's been cool because uh, full circle moment would be and which again I don't even know if Bill was the example he used, but it was that concept of he used like a big name comic to see, but. What's cool now is that Women Crush um, gets a lot of women opportunities. Girls get managers, agents, representation. They get opportunities on, on shows just because they did that show. They, people come see and they'll just fucking see them for the first time. Or they come to see them because they know Women Crush is such a great space for women to shine. Mm-hmm. And um, and Bill actually um, uh, booked Bianca Cristoval off of seeing her off my show because he would come in and drop in. He just likes to watch. Bill loves comedy. Mm-hmm. And there's been a, a quite a few like uh, like I remember Drew Carey just came to hang out and like the the now the improv was like panic like Drew Carey's here I think he wants a spot and I was like well he can watch the show you know because I'm right. like I don't fucking care I just want to put it together a show that gives girls opportunities. No, yeah, when I when I was here in L.A. last year for that Netflix festival, Bianca was opening for Bill at the, yeah. at the forum. That's the show. I that's the show I was at, and I went up to him. And well, I told her congrats and I went up to him after the show and I said, hey, man, thank you for booking Bianca. Like, I just I'm glad that mm-hmm. you have a woman on on your show. And he was like, I saw her. That's where he, that's when he told me I, I, I saw her at your show. I booked her off of your show. I fucking started tearing up because I was like, <laughs> fuck, yeah, that's why I do that shit. You know, like exactly for that. And, and she did great. So how do you balance that with at the beginning of this interview? You talked about how you no longer having the narrative of being ignored mm-hmm. or overlooked. So how did you get through that period where, yeah, you know, you're, you're booking women on women crush and they're getting stuff out of it. Sure. Um, they're getting stuff out of it, but you're not, or I mean, I, I mean, I was getting shit out of it. It's not like I wasn't getting, Oh yeah. Anything. You were getting, you, you, you know, do have a number of TV credits. Yeah. yeah. I have, uh, but, I, but what has always bothered me is that my stand up was never a priority to the mm-hmm. industry and that has always bothered me you know because um, even when i got two dope queens it was because um uh you know chinoa was trying to court me into uh being a manager i mean trying to have me be represented by her mm-hmm. chinoa estrada and I, I i feel like that's what it was you know it wasn't even on some like organic shit it felt like it was like a move on her end which was like that's how the fucking industry works you know and, and that still kind of bummed me out and i even don't even believe that people thought i was gonna fucking do that good when i was on two dope queens because i think i was at that taping it was a great it was i did great i i love that set i was i was really happy with myself um but like you know the industry still i mean dude i had fucking comedy central just be like yeah we don't yeah we don't we're not they basically did not want my stand-up, and that was shocking to me. And it's also like, that's why Comedy Central is where they're at, you know? Because they don't. They <laughs> I was just about to say, Comedy Central is they barely have overlooked comedians for anymore. so long that they they're not now they're not known for you know their stand-up. And right. when I was growing up, that was the only place you could watch great, groundbreaking, new, interesting, young, old. Everybody was on there, 
And um, it was such a dream of mine to like have a half hour special on Comedy Central. It was such a fucking dream of mine. I just submitted so many times and they didn't. And they straight up were like, yeah, we don't, we don't, like, we don't find you memorable. Or he said some fucking disrespect. Bitch, I fucking went off on that fool in that meeting when he started talking shit to me. I, we, and they made the other people in the meeting hella uncomfortable. So I was like, man, fuck this. This sucks at the place that. Yeah, you got to stick the comedy police on them. Yeah, we did. We, we got them going. <laughs> Those but, are the sirens right now. But yeah, so. Um, I, I it was like it was really hard that was a really hard moment for me you know after after that and it was like realizing like oh yeah the industry like they like what they like you know mm-hmm. and they they're gonna book what they book and um that's why this was cool because this was ida rodriguez this was all her she she submitted my name she was she wanted my my shit to be on there and um but with, like that's the thing it feels like stand-ups are the ones who have always looked out for me because even when i did at midnight chris hardwick saw me performing at the improv on a on a funches show and he was like we have to get you on at midnight and i was like yeah we do have to get me on at midnight like literally every opportunity i've had it feels like it was from a stand-up being like you you Mm -hmm. you got it let's get you on somehow was there ever a period where you looked at all of these because there there was a period at least pre-pandemic where there were a lot of shows getting pilots or getting limited Mm -hmm. series based off of premises that were either happening at meltdown or happening in the belly room sure and you did some of those shows like funny dance show is one of them yeah yeah was there ever a time where you're like as much as you wanted to concentrate on the stand-up that maybe you needed to have a gimmicky thing we or maybe tr- even tw- turn, yeah we tried we tried we tried we tried i tried and i tried i tried to succumb and they never no one ever liked any of my ideas and it's insane because mm-hmm. All of my ideas are great and all of my ideas are fucking, you know, bangers. And um, I, that's why I'm like, I'm just waiting. I kind of stopped taking meetings, taking like doing all that shit because these motherfuckers, they do not know what's good. They do not understand what's good. And it's very, very frustrating. And I feel for all the people that are out there pitching their their shows and their ideas because you don't know, A, you don't know what they're going to bite and B, you don't know what's going to hit. Mm-hmm. And they don't either. And that's what's frustrating um but yeah no i have a whole fucking i have a whole uh document with all these ideas all my old ideas too i was like now nah, fuck that i'm repitching everything once this shit you know picks up because it's 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 that it's that that mentality of like what do you do and when do you do it and it's and every and comedy is timing and but so is success so we'll see what happens what what's your attitude towards social media been like I've been, I've been, I've embraced it. You know, it's just been hard to, I think the pandemic was when it made it hard to be like, fuck, you know, if you're like, again, no, you don't know what's going to hit. Like Z-Way didn't know that, that IG live show was going to fucking be a slam dunk. She didn't know. She just fucking started doing it. And a lot of people, a lot of ideas happened, you know, on IG live, um, that didn't get picked up. But like, um, again, you, you don't know. So that's why you keep creating and you keep trying. And you don't give up because, you know, you don't know what's going to hit. You don't know when it's going to, when they're, when they're going to bite. So I've, I've attempted to embrace as much as I can also across all social media and I've let them go and it's time to let them go. You know, um, I think I'm still having a hard time with TikTok, but I'm like, eh, that, <laughs> that'll come. That'll come. I'll just post clips soon. Right. Because right now, as we speak in early 2023, it's all about TikTok. Mm-hmm. You know, Instagram tried to recreate that with reels. Yeah. But I don't know that that comedians are care about that as much. Yeah, they do. There's some comics that are doing great. Like Steph Tolov is doing great. Um, um, John Marco. Um, he's, is that his name? Yeah. John yeah. Marco Soresi. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Um, he, he's fucking killing it. I mean, they're, they're. 
if you can make it work for you, it works, you know, but it's not for everybody. And also some people don't know how to fucking edit their own shit, you know, because that's the thing. If you have enough money to pay somebody to edit, great. Then you've got guaranteed bangers. But mm-hmm. if you don't, you have to do it yourself, which a lot of comics, you know, are having to. It's harder because you're like you people don't know how to self edit and everything is so like got to get it in five seconds type shit, you know, and it's for, it's difficult. I, but I, I fully embrace it. I encourage people to embrace it. I understand that it sucks. Um, I, I want to encourage any comedian listening to stop posting crowd work. I was just about videos. to say it feels to me as a as a critic and as an observer and as a fan, it feels like it's turned a lot of people into crowd work comedians because they feel like that's where the viral clip right is, the problem is that it has nothing to do with your actual standard absolutely the problem with that too is that um most most comics can't do crowd work mm-hmm. um because even when they attempt to it's like oh this isn't that good and then the other side is it's encouraging followers to heckle during the shows right i saw matt rife complaining like oh people are, are heckling at every show and it's like yeah because you post crowd work videos bro like stop doing that post some <laughs> post some material like the, you can still fucking use it on a special even if it goes viral on you know social mm-hmm. media no one's gonna give a fuck it's like a, a hit song you know we want to hear it again so i i think people need to just stop posting so many crowd work videos give give people a little material <laughs> just a taste Right. I mean, that's what you did with, with your special is it's just a taste. It's, yeah, it is. It's it's 32 minutes. Yeah. It's, was there ever any debate or ever any pressure to try to make it an hour instead of? No, I mean, that was a that was the 30 minutes was a set time by um, I want to say HBO Max. They had their little deal with Balante and um, they picked the director and the director picked who she picked. So mm-hmm. that was I have no say in that. Okay. Uh, you know, we started this by talking about how um, it's so great for you, but it also forces you to change your own narrative that mm-hmm. you, you tell about yourself and you tell yeah. about your career. What have like like Ida or or Lori or anybody else? What have what have they be, been able to tell you about like? how to embrace this phase of your life and career. Yeah. I has been good. She's been calling me almost every day. And, um, she, cause she's like, I didn't, I didn't get to enjoy any of it when it happened to me, you know, cause she has her HBO max special her her one hour HBO max special streaming. Please watch that. And she, um, she was like, she was calling me almost every day. Um, especially like leading up to it. And then the, the, few, the couple days after that. And now we were like, we now, well, now we've been talking less, but, because the chaos is over mm-hmm. and she was just making sure that I was enjoying it and that I was taking a moment and that, um, to, to not let the emotions, you know, overwhelm me. Um, so she's been cool because she's, it's nice that she is doing that because it's also reminding me like when I, you know, the young people or somebody that I like that's, you know, gets their shit to be able to touch base with them when it happens to them, because I didn't know that I was going to feel all these feelings, you know, bleeding up to it. And, and then when it came out, um, so it's been nice to just have her kind of holding my hand a little bit because it is brand new feelings and it is me trying to adjust. And it's also me, just like the special says, bitch, grow up. It's me attempting to adjust because that's what growing up is. You're adjusting to whatever the fuck is going on. And that's how it, that's how I'm feeling right now. Like I'm in literally the the moment of adjusting and literally growing pains are happening. And it's been cool because she has been there for me and it's been nice. 
So as we said, like 17 is like being a teenager and you're still growing. Mm-hmm. So if I come back to you in five years after your college years mm-hmm. of comedy, what do you hope we're talking about five years from now? I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, stand up is, is my thing. Hopefully by in five years, hopefully I have two hour specials under my belt and something else, whatever that may be, whether it's a show or, you know, or women crush or, you know, something that. Um, gives opportunities to other women. Um, I mean, who knows? I mean, the the everything is open. I, I think in the long term goals, it's like I want to be able to like have the 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 power, the leverage to help women who deserve. Because I just like I swear to fucking god, if you don't look a certain way, don't sound a certain way, like they do not want to hook you up, and that is crazy to me. And there's just so many there's so many women out there that are so good and that are. That can change the narrative of stand-up, but if they don't get the opportunities, like, it's, the shit's going to stay the same, you know? Yeah. No, I think I, I mentioned on Twitter that uh, the first time I ever saw Osco was at yeah. Meltdown on yeah. your show. Yeah, years ago. Years ago. I mean, yeah. and that's the thing. I've been I've been trying to, you know, get as many women. And now it was easier back then because I wasn't as busy as I am now. But it was cool because it was like I was doing a bunch of shows and... That was, you know, Women Crush started because I, um, you know, comedy in L.A. is very segregated and um, I hated that and I would be at the black shows, I would be at the club shows, I would be at the alt shows um, and I would, every show had a couple women that were so amazing and I was like, fuck, if all those bitches were on one show, that'd be fucking crazy, you know, we'd get so many perspectives <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, and that's how it, that's how it started really and um, I just... I, I want I want that more. I want people to be able to experience that more. Just like different backgrounds of women um, who all speak differently, who all think differently. Um, just entertaining and, and opening people's eyes to what stand-up really is, you know? And it's not just fucking the same five bitches over and over again, you know? Like, there's so <laughs> much out there, you know? And actually, you know, when I started Women Crush, I had a male comedian straight up be like, okay, but how fast do you think you're going to run out of women? Because it used to be weekly. It used to be a weekly show. So he was like, oh, what? You give it? I give it six months before you run out of women and you need a man on the show. And I was like, okay, first of all, no. <laughs> um, that's like, there's, but, that's a, but that's how they see, like even the male comics right. didn't even believe that a great, solid, women-only weekly show could even exist. And it totally did. And it, we barely repeated bitches. And it was awesome. And it was crazy. It was th- those that early... That early, those meltdown years were like really well, it might have been the only one year, but it was like such a great that was such a great run of shows. Well, that's also crazy that a guy would say that, even just because I'm I'm in L.A. for a week going to shows, and as I was looking at the lineups, it's all the same people. It is. So it's like all of these shows. I guess have run out of people. Because, all these shows. That, because but, they're all booking the but same see, people. see, that's the thing. That's where the mentality comes from. Some people actually believe they book the same people because these are the people that are working. And it's like, there's so right. many comics in every city, all across the fucking country. There's so many women. There's so, I mean, there's great comics, period. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you know, I'm just, I just like hearing women's voices. So it's like, I want to have a woman's only show where it's like, you get all the perspectives. You get all the experience, too. So even last night, we had Natalie McGill. She opened for me in Washington, D.C., and I told her, whenever the fuck you get to L.A., you hit me up. I'm going to put you on Women Crush. I don't, ca- I don't care if somebody's been doing it for three years. Like, you can do five minutes, right. you know? And um, not, that that, not that that was the case for her. She's been doing it longer. I don't want to make it sound like that. But 
I've always just been like, if you're doing, I want to encourage you to do it. You know, like I, I, I also encourage when, when women meet me after the shows, I'm like, Oh my God, I've always wanted to do it. And I'll be like, fucking do it. What are you 40? Now is a perfect time. You are more interesting than you've ever been. Like now is the time we want to hear what the fuck you have to say. Um, and that's what women crush is about. Just like, no, I want all the bitches to give a speech at the wedding type shit, you know? Well, Marcella, uh, Thank you for your service in Thank you. giving all these women a voice and a platform. It's been, it's been cool. And congratulations on Thank getting you. your own platform. I appreciate it. It's, Thank uh, you. It's really well deserved. And Thank I'm you. Happy to see it for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.